Alrighty, uh, we are going to jump in, and many of you will know uh, a few of my passions. One of them is movies, but uh, some of my favorite movies, my, one of my favorite genres is uh, end-of-the-world movies. Uh, you know, they're called apocalyptic movies. That's, that's the, often the, the, the name of the genre. And one of my favorites is Deep Impact. I didn't realize how old I was until I realized it came out in 98, which was, what, like 26 years ago, uh, which is quite hectic. Um, but anyways, uh, Deep Impact is the less commercially successful version of Armageddon. If you'd never heard of it and you'd heard of Armageddon, it's because Deep Impact was not a flop, but just... Not the box office heavy hitter of Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler and that Aerosmith song, which was amazing. Uh, but Deep Impact is better, and if you haven't seen it, I urge you to see it. Morgan Freeman plays the president. Frodo Baggins is running around as well, saving the day. It's, it's fantastic. Um, but what I love about these types of movies, this genre, um, is the notion of seeing people trying to navigate survival. And often they're trying to navigate survival beyond this cataclysmic day which is looming, which is coming, okay? So in the case of these two movies, it was a meteor that was coming to Earth. And this, the, again, this was a classic example of one Hollywood studio finding out the other Hollywood studio script, jumping on the bandwagon, and two movies about meteors coming to Earth came out in the space of two months. Um, but what I love about these movies is people trying to navigate. A day of, is coming. A day of reckoning is coming. How are we going to survive this? What are we going to do? And often these movies also, what you see is people, um, everyone's pretensions are just put aside. And people realize what is important. And you see people prioritizing specific things, certain things. They're making sure that they've engaged with those that they love. They're making sure they've told people the stuff they need to tell them before it's too late. And a, a question I wanted to throw out to us this morning, which, or this evening, which I think is pertinent, is if you and I were living in the last days, what should we be doing? And what do we need in order to, to do that, whatever that might be? And today's story from the book of Acts is actually going to speak directly to this question. And for various people in the room, Today's talk, I hope, might provide some corrective lenses uh, from various vantage points, to, depending on where you are coming from. But what we're going to be talking about is spiritual power in the last days. Spiritual power in the last days. Now, if you're not a Christ follower here, you may have some alarm bells going off right now. Uh, first of all, you might be someone who's just completely put off by talk of the supernatural. And I don't really know what to say to you except I, I feel you, um, but we're glad you are here. But also, that might not be a problem, but, but what you're put off with is, is, is often Christian obsession with the last days, with the end of the world. And, and, and that I totally get, okay? Every few years, there's a group of Christians saying, this is it. This is it. This is the end. Jesus is coming back in the next week, the next month, and then what happens is Jesus doesn't come back, and it's not the end. And, and we, we've published books like 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988, and then January 1st arrives of 1989, and the book is irrelevant. But the same people had no shame in writing 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1989. And so if you're not a Christian and this is a bit of the vibe that you've picked up, I totally get it. And, and I'm sorry. And I think you rightfully mock uh, an element of that. Um, and then unfortunately, maybe you also then, because of that, write off 
Christians, and maybe write off Jesus himself. Um, and I really don't want you to do that, and I'm really glad that you are with us today. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever given thought to how the world will end, if the world will end? What, what are your current thoughts from your current framework as to where history is going? What is the trajectory of the human race? Or maybe I could be a little more provocative. Do you at least uh, give thought to the end of your own life, which we all know is coming? What are you uh, thinking about the fact that one day you will die and there will be an end for you in this realm? Whatever your objections have been, whatever your uh, put-offs from Christians are, Put that all aside, I urge you today, and just consider, as we, as we talk about a whole bunch of stuff today, I want, just want you to consider who Jesus is, what he's done, what that means for you. Can you trust him with your life? Can you trust him with your future and that last day that is coming, whether it's in 50, 60 years, or 50, 60 minutes? I want to just encourage you to consider the person of Jesus. So the last few weeks, we have been in the book of Acts, and uh, we've been building up, really, to today's story, which is the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And what's happened so far? Uh, Jesus, he's completed his, his earthly ministry to reveal the way of God, to die for the sins of humanity, and he has commissioned his disciples to go, to spread the message of forgiveness in his name um, and life under God's rule, and to spread that to the end of the world to the, the four corners of the earth. But what he told them before uh, they should set out on this mission was to wait to be clothed with power from on high when they were to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish celebration of Pentecost turned out to be the day 2,000 odd years ago that that would happen. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna read now that story, this, the Spirit coming Peter, uh, one of the apostles, he's going to get up, he's going to preach the first three-point sermon in the history of the church. We're just going to get up to the end of his first point, and then we're going to preach a three-point message off the back of that. So that's the plan. Um, That's funny. All right, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. You can read with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound... The whole multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it then that we hear each one of us in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, all of us, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Crucial question. 
But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's word to us tonight. So, as I promised, three things, three things. The first is this. We are in the last days. If this video went up on YouTube, it would have that, if you've seen it, that little caption that says, prophetic message from Kyle Peters, February 2024. We are in the last days. Do you, do you know this? Do you believe this? I don't say this because of current world events. I don't say it because of what's happening between Israel and Palestine, or because Trump and Biden are going at it again, or because Putin is doing his thing in Eastern Europe. I say it because Peter says it in today's story, and he's consistent with other biblical writers across the scriptures. Peter says that what is happening on the day of Pentecost is the beginning of the fulfillment of a word spoken by the prophet Joel, a good maybe six, seven hundred years before him. So I just put up uh, verses 17 and 20, just up on the screen. Here it is. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Dot, dot, dot. There's a whole list of things that are going to happen. And then he closes with, all this is going to happen before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So the last days are the period between Jesus' ascension and his sending of the Spirit and his return on the day of the Lord, the great and magnificent day. And that's where we are. We find ourselves between these two days in these last days. The day of the Lord is the next big event, really, that we are waiting for as Christ follows, the next big event that's really going to pivot the whole of the human race, where things are going to dramatically shift for every single human being on the face of the planet. Jesus Christ is going to return, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And there's two questions you might have <clears throat> at this point. The first is, uh, it, it might not occur to you initially, but why of all days did God choose Pentecost, that festival, to usher in this new age, to launch uh, the last days? Uh, Pentecost, for most of us who might not know this, uh, was a Jewish celebration. It happened 50 days after the Passover celebration. The Passover was what they celebrated um, 
when, when the Israelites had been freed from slavery uh, because of the blood of the Lamb out of, out, of, out of Egypt. Now, in Peter's day, 50 days before this, Jesus Christ had shed his blood so that people could be freed from slavery uh, on Passover. So 50 days after that, Pentecost was the celebration of the ingathering of the wheat harvest. This is a, these days they didn't go to pick and pay and checkers and woolies to buy their food. They celebrated when the harvest came in because they were gonna eat that year and they were super stoked about it. And <clears throat> what happened is Jews from all over the known world who had been scattered all outside of Israel came all the way into Jerusalem for this festival. And I think two reasons why Pentecost was the day that God chose for this to happen. Firstly, Pentecost is symbolic, really, of the spiritual harvest that God plans to achieve in these last days. Okay, God wants people from all over the world to come to faith in Him and avoid judgment for their sins come that day. And so right now, Right now, God is going all around the world through all different types of people, and he is sowing the good news of Jesus into the world. And when Jesus returns on that day, he is going to reap a harvest of all of those who have said yes to his beautiful, glorious, gracious invitation. And this harvest is it's expansive like, like never before. Um, like nothing that had happened before Pentecost. Salvation, the power of the Spirit, is now available for everyone. Peter, riffing on Joel, says this is coming upon all flesh, all types of people, male, female, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, black, white, you name it. And you might have a hang-up about, is Jesus for me? Is, is the Holy Spirit for me? And I want you to hear this right now. Whoever you are, never ever think that Jesus and the power of the Spirit is not for you or it's not for someone else. For whatever reason, you might just not like that person or those people. Christ and the Spirit is for everyone. The invitation is thrown wide out to every person of every tribe and tongue and culture, no matter where you come from, no matter what background you have had. So that's the first thing. I think Pentecost is symbolic of what God wants to do in this age. Secondly, I just think it's practically strategic, and it's okay for God to also be practical and strategic, just so you know. Many of the visitors to Jerusalem who came from all over the world, you'll see next week, they're going to respond to the message of Jesus. They're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and they're going to go, and they're going to take the message of the gospel back with them to all their towns and cities all over the world. It's just a brilliant way to start this age. The nations are going to start to be gathered in. You might remember the words of Jesus to his disciples in Luke chapter 10 where he said this. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his Harvest And what's happening at Pentecost is that prayer is now beginning to get answered. Laborers are going out all over the world. So that's the first question. Why Pentecost to start these, these, these last days? Here's the second question, which I think is uh, really fair. Kyle, these last days seem rather long. It's been 2,000 years. That's a long time. Why? Why? And I want to point you to Peter, the same Peter who was preaching on the day of Pentecost, something he wrote a few decades later in his second letter, 
chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, he says this. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What he's saying is these last days are long because God is kind, and God is patient, and God desires that people repent of their rejection of him and come to faith in him. And these last 2,000 years since the day of Pentecost have been like two sleeps for God. Two days. He is being very, very patient. So Pentecost. I love what John Piper said. He said, Pentecost is the dawn of the last day's harvest of the Spirit. That's the season of human history that you and I live in. And I want you just now to right now to take a moment and just make sure you put your life in that context. Your story fits into that story. Your life season of 30, 40, 70, 80 years, whatever it might be, finds its context and meaning in that season of human history. We're in the last days. But I don't think we're meant to run around the last days trying to speculate if we are in the last days of the last days. That's not, the New Testament is not that phased about it. <clears throat> we see it in Joel's prophecy here. There's going to be dark times. There's probably going to be political upheavals, natural disasters. But a lot of that stuff has been happening for 2,000 years. I've just finished a book on church history. And almost every generation thought that their generation was the final generation. No, Christ is going to come back like a thief. And rather than speculating if he's coming back tomorrow or Wednesday, what you and I need to do is to actually prioritize the spread of the gospel. Prioritize the spread of the gospel. That's the second point. The last verse from Joel's prophecy that Peter quotes, it reads this in verse 21. And it shall come to pass in these last days that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me remind you what Luke, who wrote Acts, wrote at the very end of his gospel. He was quoting Jesus at the end of Luke's gospel. Jesus said this to his disciples. It's written that the Christ, Jesus himself, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, in Jesus' name, in the name of the Lord to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The mission of the church is to spread the gospel to all nations. That's what you and I have been commissioned to do. We're, we're called to take the gospel, the good news, that salvation for your sins is available in the person of Jesus because what he did on the cross has paid the price for your sin and you can be reconciled to God. And that message is to go out to everyone. And the message is to travel. Okay? In the Old Testament, there was a similar message. Call on the name of 
the Lord, Yahweh. It was going out there, but really it was localized to Israel. It was a come and see kind of vibe. Come to Israel, meet God, um, come and see what life in God's kingdom is meant to look like. Obviously, that didn't work out so well if you read the Old Testament. But the New Testament is not come and see. The New Testament is go and tell. Go and tell. And Christ has commissioned every single one of his disciples to be part of a people that goes and tells of the good news of Christ. Now, in our passage, Luke, he's writing here, he mentions what the theologians call a, a large table of nations, okay? It's a, it's a list of all the places, you heard me read it, that everyone has come from, um, and as I said, are going to go back to after the day of Pentecost, okay? The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, uh, there was a bunch. But the main other passage in the Bible that contains a table of nations like this is the story of the Tower of Babel way back in Genesis 11. Some of you may know it, some of you might not. There's a little artist's rendering that'll come up on the screen behind me. That story was about a people gathering together to make a name for themselves and to set themselves up against God. And they were gonna do it by building this, this massive ziggurat, this massive tower. And what happened is God came in and he made them all speak different languages so they couldn't complete their construction project to, to build their own kingdom. And I think it was John Stott who then wrote this, and many other theologians agree with him. At Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered. But in Jerusalem, at Pentecost, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ, pointing to the great day when the redeemed company will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. One way to think of Pentecost is Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. That's what it is. That's what we are seeing. The nations are going to be gathered in because the gospel is going to go to all people. And I love, I put a quote up here from Rigby Wallace, who many of you will know. He often says this, the gospel always has a forwarding address. The gospel always has a forwarding address. The gospel is not just for you. As amazing as the gospel is for you, and that your sins are forgiven and my sins are forgiven, and we have relationship with the creator of the universe, that's hectic and that's amazing. But that's not all. That's not all. Life is not just about you. It's not about just keeping the gospel to yourself. Heaven forbid, life is not about you and I making names for ourselves. No, life is about the spread of the gospel. And we often speak here, you've heard us say it many times, that um, 2,000 years later, we can see the success of the gospel, okay? It started off in the Middle East. It spread all over the world through 2,000 of years of church history. And here we are in Cape Town, 2,000 years later on the tip of Africa, talking about the good news of Jesus and worshiping him because we have found faith in him through the gospel. It's been a success story, like undeniably. But is that it? Is the job finished? Is the job done? Do you and I not still have family and friends who, who don't know the love of Jesus? I checked this number on a couple of sites. Are there not 283 million people in 3,191 completely unreached people groups? 
people who have never heard the name and the love of Jesus? Is God not still calling us to make known the name of Jesus so that people will call on him for salvation from their sins and be reconciled to him? Guys, we, we, we give our time to, to all sorts of things, all, all sorts of good things. But don't forget that we are meant to be vessels for Jesus' work. His hands and his feet, and I think more specifically off the back of today's message, mouthpieces to the world. That's what we're meant to be. One of the main things Jesus is doing right now is he is building his church. He told us himself. That's what he is up to as people respond to the gospel. And if, and if you and I have actually just, for whatever reason, for, forgotten this, gotten sidetracked, gotten caught up in our own affairs, um, maybe even got caught up in a, in a sort of spiritualized, Christianized version of, of Project Self, and we've forgotten this, can I just urge us to just come to God now, during worship, whatever, and just to repent of it. Okay, we believe the gospel. We believe that Christ will meet us in that moment, and he will forgive us, and he will put us back on the horse or the donkey or whatever your mind fills, and he's going to keep sending you on that mission. But come to him. Let him redirect your heart. Let him redirect your thoughts. Let him, let him bring understanding of what are the other things that have pulled you away from this, and turn away from them, and turn back to his mission to reach neighbors and to reach nations. In the end of those world movies, I said it earlier, people are always telling those that they love the most important things while they still can. And so let's just ask ourselves, are we? Are we? And in those movies, okay, people discover how the world is going to end and, and how we might be able to survive beyond that day. And they move heaven and earth to tell the world that this is coming and this is how we can survive. Are you and I doing that? with the facts that we have been given. We're in the last days, and we have been commissioned to spread the gospel. But we're not going to be able to do this with our own cleverness, with our own strategies and schemes. Not that we don't need them, but they're not enough. And we can't, with our own words, change people's hearts. We can't move people in our own words, in our own clever persuasion skills from spiritual death to spiritual life. We just can't do it. We need spiritual power, the final point. We need spiritual power. And as this text shows, and as the rest of the book of Acts shows, and the rest of church history can attest to, this power comes from being immersed in the Holy Spirit. The experience of the Holy Spirit is, is like the difference between seeing a lake in the distance, knowing what it's called, maybe even knowing how big it is and what type of fish swim in there. It's the difference between that and actually getting into the lake and being drenched. Those are two very different things. And so the, the first couple of verses of, of, of today's story will come up on the screen here again. But on the day of Pentecost... The disciples were together, and it says, suddenly, God came. The Holy Spirit came. And I love that, because suddenly means that they couldn't conjure it up. They didn't, they didn't twist God's arm. No. Suddenly, 
The Spirit sovereignly did what He wanted when He wanted. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, it's like the wind. He's going to blow where He will. You're not going to see where He's coming from or where He's going to. And that means the Holy Spirit is free when He moves to accompany His works with whatever manifestations He wants to. Let's not be people, even though it might be scary at times, let's not be people who box Jesus and box the Holy Spirit. He can do what he wants. On this occasion, it's different languages. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, it's other things. Elsewhere in church history, it's been a whole bunch of different things. We read about wind and fire, and when we read about those in the Old Testament, they're almost always associated with the power of God. And the disciples here are, they are soaked, they are baptized, they are drenched, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. You could say they are caught up in God. And what we just have to acknowledge here is what we're talking about is something experiential. There's, there's, there's no way around it. It's, it's not something that we can just assume we have. We can assume we have a lot of things. We can reckon that my sins are forgiven and I am justified in the courts of heaven. We can assume that. We can have faith in that. But something here is tangible. It's experiential. Something happens on the day of Pentecost. A bunch of people ask, hey, are these guys doped? Like, that's literally the question that people ask because they can see something. Something is happening. And in Ephesians, Paul makes a very similar link with what is said there on the day of Pentecost and where he commands you and I not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying you, you slur your speech and fall over. That's not at all what I'm saying. But there is something intoxicating about the Holy Spirit when He fills you. When He fills you. And it's something we need, and it's something that you and I should expect even today, 2,000 years later. Now, there's lots of different people in the room. You've come from lots of different church backgrounds, many of you. And so I want to just say a few things here that I think will help us in this moment, but also just help us in general as we study the Bible together and as we read scriptures over the years. Um, and, and it's this. The Bible is not a book of technical terms. The Bible is not a book of technical terms. If you think it is, you're going you're gonna to put the Apostle Paul up against the Apostle James, and you're going to make them fight. You're going to fight amongst half your brothers and sisters in this church and around the world, and you don't need to. The Bible is not a book of technical terms. Baptism, for example, has several meanings depending on the context and who's saying it and why they're saying it. It could be speaking about the Holy Spirit. It could speak about being dunked in water. Here, what we see on the day of Pentecost, what is happening, has already been called multiple things. It's been called the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Spirit in Acts 1 verse 8. In Acts 2, it's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. Back at the end of the Gospel of Luke, it was called being clothed with power from on high. Michael Eaton would say, I don't really care what you call it as long as you see it and you want it and hopefully you experience it. That's the bottom line. Don't get tripped up on language. Prophecy too. Ah, oh, that's a lovely controversial word in the church these days. But prophecy is quite a broad category. It includes a whole bunch of different things. It, it often includes uh, praise, simple encouragement. Oftentimes it does uh, talk about direct revelation from God through people to other people. Preaching is said to be prophetic. 
uh, foretelling the future is one type of prophecy, but certainly not the only. The, 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 the undergirding thing under this umbrella of prophecy is powerful speech from God. Powerful speech from God. Tongues as well. Sometimes tongues is a private prayer language between you and God. Right here in this text, it is clearly speaking about people speaking in foreign languages, intelligible foreign languages. And the tongues in this passage is what Peter says is prophecy. Just join all that together for a second, okay? The tongues are a prophetic tool from God so that people from a vast different set of backgrounds and languages can, as verse 11 says, hear the mighty works of God declared. That's the bottom line. This power comes upon people so that people hear the word of God and who God is and what he's done and why he is awesome. And we see in this passage as well, the Spirit is going to come and he, he gives visions and dreams and you keep reading the book of Acts like we will and you will see people having visions and people having dreams and miracles happening. But none of those things happen in the context of a little church meeting where everyone can be, oh, cool. No, every single one of those things, when they happen, happen for the spread of the gospel. That's the point. That's the point. The Holy Spirit makes the name of Jesus famous so that people come to faith in him. And you just think naturally, when we speak and when we dream as people, we speak and dream of what our minds and our hearts are saturated with. What happens with the Holy Spirit is he saturates you and you dream dreams and you speak things. You speak the things of God. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so all of us need in some shape or form at some time to be saturated with God. We need to be in the lake, drenched, not hypothesizing about the name of the lake and was it filled or baptized or whatever. We should expect it. We should expect it. And so let me say these, these two last things here. If, if you don't think you can still expect this, it's 2,000 years later, we have the Bible. I don't know what your objections might be. Let me just say this. The, the power that is promised by Jesus in Acts chapter 1 that we see now in Acts chapter 2 is extraordinary power not ordinary power. Now, don't get me wrong. Ordinary power is amazing, okay? What we're talking about here, what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2, is not the ordinary power of God in the sense of someone being born again for the first time, people growing in Christ-likeness as the Spirit moves in them. Do not hear me for a second say that that stuff is not cool. But that's the ordinary working of the Holy Spirit, and it's amazingly powerful. But what we see here is something different, something above and beyond those things, because the disciples had those things already. And this power, as I've said a million times tonight, is promised in direct connection to the Great Commission, to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And as we've said, the Great Commission is not complete because Jesus has not returned. And therefore, I want to put to you, this power is still available. It is not invalid, and it has not been withdrawn. And then if you don't think you need it, let me ask you this. And I don't know if you're going to receive these questions as tongue-in-cheek or legitimate. You receive them how you need to receive them. 
are you absolutely nailing the great commission that you've been given? Are you nailing it? Are you smashing it out of the water? I really hope a bunch of us are, to be honest. But do you need a little help in sharing your faith? Are you really as full of God as you want or need? If Jesus stood here tonight in the flesh, he made a little cameo appearance before the, the great and magnificent day, okay? He came here tonight and said, would you like more of me in your heart and life? Are you really going to respond to him and say, I'm actually good? Thanks. Head back to heaven. I'll handle the last days, and I'll see you on the great day. No. Guys, 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 we need it. We desperately need it, and we need to humble ourselves and admit to ourselves that we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let me just land with a story, um, which I think just pulls us all together and just encapsulates it. And I hope it, I hope it just does something in your heart. It's a story of D.L. Moody. He was a preacher in Chicago um, in the late 1800s. He had apparently the biggest church in Chicago at that time. And he was preaching for uh, several weeks. And as he was preaching... Every week, you can see these two ladies near the front, um, and they were basically just uh, talking consistently throughout uh, his sermons, and I think he probably got a bit annoyed or whatever, um, and basically, eventually, he confronted them and asked them, what is up with, with you two? And, and they said, no, we're praying for you to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And reflecting back on that conversation, he said, to be honest, at that point, I didn't think I needed it. I had the biggest church in Chicago, and there were people coming to faith, but he invited those two ladies to, to start praying for him. And then this is what he says, there came a great hunger into my soul. I didn't know what it was, but I began to cry out as I never did before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for the service that God had called me to. Well... One day, in the city of New York, I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I, I can't take any more. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. And I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. I want us to expect this and to desire this and need this. And um, by way of response, what we're going to do in a, a moment is, is pray together and sing a closing song together. Um, but let me just land and say this. Anytime on Netflix... Stir Kinnikor, you see a thumbnail or a poster of an end-of-the-world movie. Remind yourself that we live in the last days. And we have been sent on a time-critical mission. And God desires to empower us for this mission. If we would believe Him and expect it and admit our need for it. So...